0: Oh man, it's been a while. It has. Welcome to the pre-show.
1: Yes, welcome to the pre-show.
0: Welcome to uh, the 2022-23 season. I always feel that uh, September is more of a new year than January. It feels more of a a new beginning. It's been years since I've been in school, but I don't know. What do you What do you think about September? September
1: is uh, September is a very busy time. September is um, back at this the podcast. September is back to school. Yeah, uh, not just for my kids, but for my wife.
0: Uh huh. Oh yeah, that's right.
1: Uh, September is the start of the fall.
0: Yeah, How's that? or autumn. Yeah, autumn. Yeah, no, you're right. I was going to ask you, what, uh, what shows have you seen this summer? And so I'm going through my calendar to see if I could. Uh...
1: This summer we saw the beaches at History.
0: How was that show? I was out of town. It was an amazing show. It was an
1: amazing show. and um, Nice. And uh, History is an unbelievable venue.
0: That was your first time. Okay,
1: no, I think USS was our first time, my USS, first time, okay. not ours yeah. my first time. Yeah um, yeah, the venue you can tell the venue was created by
0: a musician Talk to me about that why why, why do you why do you feel? Because
1: that? I don't know if there's a bad sight line in the place.
0: Sure. Well, it's um, small enough to not have a bad sight line, right.
1: Yeah, but I think it's the way it's, but you also really, I mean, that's, that's like, that seems like almost like a full size stage in a smaller-ish room. Sure, sure. It's not like small stage at the front, big back. It's like big stage and around the big stage. So there's not really a bad sight line. Like you could stay on side stage and still see everything. Uh, The sound is amazing. Yes. The sound is crystal clear. The sound's not too loud. Like, the both shows that I went to, it wasn't overly loud, which is nice. Okay, that's good. As my tinnitus rings in my ear right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, history's been my biggest surprise, I'd say.
0: Yeah, we went to see July talk there. Yeah. And uh, we stayed, like, at the back of the room uh, only because you know, we were still concerned about COVID. Um, right. you know, which was different than going to the Pearl Jam show last week when, uh, nobody was concerned about, uh, about nobody.
1: COVID. In COVID the, uh... is, COVID is gone. Apparently.
0: Yes. Tell that to my brother. Who's just getting over his first bout.
1: I know somebody that just got it the other day and, uh, for their first time, too. and yeah. um, No, but COVID's gone. Just ask Doug Ford. COVID's gone.
0: Yeah. No.
1: We don't have to worry about numbers anymore. <laughs> we don't have to worry about safety. Um, yeah, you can go back to work after two days, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. It's great. It's but, cool. um, excellent. So you had a great concert. I had a great concert. I feel like we didn't go to too many shows. I mean, the, I saw some live music in Europe, you know, just on the streets and you know, but uh, saw a great like rock orchestra in in Florence. Um, that was a lot of fun. Cool. Just just in one of the main squares, walking walking home one evening, and whoop! Nice. That that sounds like a song I know. And uh, yeah, it was just fantastic. Nice. Yeah. It's great. Looking forward to more new music and uh, some amazing guests.
1: Got some great guests coming up this year, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, season. and we'll we'll talk with Alan. Alan's going to be here in a few minutes. Alan Cross, ongoing history of new music. Your thoughts, very quickly, on Arcade Fire's lead singer.
1: His response. Reminded me of another musician. John Gameshi. John Gameshi. Huh. His response was.
0: But the allegations are very allegations are very different.
1: It's the response. Sure. That was similar. Yeah. And the response was Everything that happened was consensual, but I'm really sorry if it hurt anybody.
0: Generally, that's that's generally what was said.
1: I'm generalizing. I am yeah. paraphrasing extremely. Yes.
0: yes. Yes, 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 yes. But uh Now, I don't know, were you ever a fan of Arcade Fire? I seem to think no. No, I like Arcade Fire, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I wasn't a huge fan of Arcade Fire. Yeah.
1: I was, ha- I was very happy with their success in the U.S. and globally. Yeah. As a Canadian artist. Yeah. Canadian band. Um, I... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan, but I always... I, I did like their music, for sure.
0: Yeah. You said that in, like, past tense. You did.
1: So I wanna, like the music. Yeah. I'm I mean, have we have had this conversation. How many yeah. times have we had this conversation? And we will continue guests? to have it.
0: Yeah. We'll continue to have that. Talk conversation. Michael
1: Jackson, right? Like, yeah. like, can you separate the love of the art yeah. from the creepiness of the person?
0: And to each their own, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. It's a personal, it's for sure a personal thing. It's not yeah. even to each, it's, yeah I mean it is to each their own but it's 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 more complex than that it's very much each person's decision on whether they can do that or not and I totally understand the people that can't like I totally understand that yeah I, I I don't fault anybody for that
0: Some of the best shows live shows I've been to have been Arcade Fire shows they really know how to get a stadium crowd or even an arena crowd. Actually, I've never seen them in a stadium, but arena. They know how to get an arena crowd jumping and hopping, for sure. Yeah, it'll be it will be interesting. They're still on tour. There's still thousands of people that are that are going to their shows. Yep. And uh, at the same time, you know, musicians like Feist have. I think she played one show with them and then decided you know, not to.
1: I thought her response was quite interesting. And it was something I'm not going to paraphrase again, but I'm going to be a sure. little less general than the last time. And her response was, I can't help by being here. I can't help by leaving. I just know I can't be here. And again, I'm probably, but I'm sure I'm butchering it, but essentially it's
0: uh, very you know, interesting. Yeah, yeah,
1: If I, if I stay, I can't help. If I go, I can't help. I'm not going to do nothing. Nothing's going to change because of it, but I just know that I can't be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a way, you know, again, we talk about separating the artist, their music and their personal life.
0: Yeah, she said, I can't solve that by quitting, and I can't solve it by staying, but I can't continue.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's
1: way, it's, more, way more eloquent than I put
0: it. Yeah, well, that, those are the actual words. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, let's uh, get on with uh, the show and the music.
1: And that's the pre-show.
0: That's the pre-show. Sometimes that's that's the thing I forget to do. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done that with like guests though, or just yourself? David Bowie. Tell me about wow. that. Like what? Okay, so
2: norm-
1: normally, normally we'd wait and start the show, but go ahead, please, dude.
2: <laughs> um, I was invited to talk to him back in 1990. I had him all to myself for 30 minutes. I was so flustered by the whole thing that I forgot to unpause my tape recorder.
0: And when so, you have 30 minutes with him. Mm. At what point do you realize that At the end. No!
2: After he left. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, And then I met him later and I explained what happened. This was years later. Um, And he put his hand on my shoulder and he looked me in the eye and said, well, that was stupid of you, wasn't it? (laughs)
1: Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes.
0: Well, sometimes it's good to just have those conversations that it's just, you know, it was shared just between the two of you.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what he said. Not a clue because I was so starstruck by the so, whole thing. But yeah. uh anyway. <laughs> I haven't made that mistake again
0: since. Wow. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find him at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery.
2: Hi, I'm Alan Cross from the Ongoing History of New Music, and you are listening to Welcome to the Music.
1: Welcome, 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 Alan. It's it's honestly, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Um, I, I want to start off with your thoughts about. Uh, we're gonna. I know we're gonna talk about CFNY and the spear and stuff, but um, I'm sure it'll come up. It, uh, I remember one night, and and I say this because just a couple of months ago was the anniversary. I remember one night I was getting ready for bed, and my wife said to me, and I can't remember whether it'd be probably maybe before Facebook Messenger, but Facebook ICQ, MS Messenger, whatever it was. And she said, uh, Earl's trying to, Jive's, Jive's trying to ping you, to message you. And I thought, oh, okay. So I went up and he told me about the passing of Martin Street. Oh, okay. And so, so I know this is sort of, I, I'm hoping it's, we turn this more into a positive, but what I'd love to start off and just get your, your thoughts and your views of, you know, Martin and his influence on sort of Toronto radio and, and that, if you don't mind. Well- Okay.
2: Um, Martin was one of the very first people I met when I moved here in 1986. I was the overnight person. Martin at the time was running the video road show. Uh, I was making no money at the time. I was working six days a week, making $17,500 a year. And, um, the way that we were able to make extra money as announcers was by doing video road shows. So at 17, five a year, I did as many of these video road shows as I possibly could. So I was out with Martin quite a bit, uh, Fridays and Saturday nights, where, wherever I could, wherever I could, uh, pick one up. And, uh, that's how I got to know him. And, uh, later when he took over for Chris Shepard, he became a full fledged on air person and then after that, uh, I ended up becoming his boss when I was promoted to program director of The Edge in nineteen in 2004. So we went through a number of, we'll call them relationships. You know, first it was I was looking up to him because I was asking him to, you know, show me the ropes, really, and, and to break me into the station and the culture and the city and, and everything else. Uh, then we were co-workers, and then I was his boss. And each of those relationships were substantially different from the other. And when I was his boss, I understood that he ended up he had a lot of of, of, of demons. Uh he had a lot mm. of problems. Martin was always kind of he had problem, you know, tax problems. That was a big thing with him for him for a long time. Mm. And then um he fell in with the wrong crowd and there were there were some drugs involved. Mm. And when I was his boss, uh it, it got pretty bad a couple of times. And I uh you know, had to you know, put him in rehab and had to go pick him up once or twice and he didn't show up for work a few times. But um, because we went back so far, um, I wasn't allowed. I wasn't about to let him fail. I wasn't uh, not on my watch. Mm-hmm. And even though my boss has pressured me to get rid of him because he was a problem, uh, I wouldn't do it because I didn't want to. I knew that if he didn't have the structure of the radio station, that he wouldn't last very long. So I kept him on staff and tried to do as much as I possibly could for him. I don't know. I guess I did fine. Um, Mm -hmm. I probably obviously could have done more somehow. Um, and then I moved to to a new job, new guy came in, made some changes. And that Mm -hmm. those changes included Martin, uh, Martin being terminated. And it was shortly after that, that, uh, my predictions came true and that Mm -hmm. uh, he had, he had died. And it was a Monday night when, uh, The word came down, I got a text from his girlfriend, and it was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, severely missed. He was so popular amongst the staff. He was so popular amongst the the listeners. And Martin had been around for such a long time. Like, he started, I think, in 83 or 84. He was helping Earl Jive Mm -hmm. as sort of like a semi-intern kind of thing and um because he had been around for so long, and because he was he had this sort of Peter Pan persona, he was always this young guy, no matter it was his forties mid forties, but he was still you know acting like he was and living like he was twenty one or twenty two or twenty three which was his charm <laughs> and um there were a couple of generations of alternative fans. In uh, Southern Ontario, who went through a rite of passage with Martin, which means Mm -hmm. as soon as they turned 19, they went to a live to air with Martin. It Could have been on a Thursday, could have been on a Friday, could have been on a Saturday, could have been on a Sunday, whenever. And and Martin became this this rite of passage for them. So when they died, when he died, um, he affected that affected an awful lot of people, an Mm -hmm. awful
1: lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. that's way more intimate than I anticipated <laughs> when I asked the question. So, so thank you. And and when you talk about his persona, I do remember, um, so we were, I was with an independent band and, and, you know, we had one of our independent tapes ready to go and, and Earl brought us into the listening session where, you know, you listen to the releases and he said, Oh, here's, here's a tape to put on. And so he played our stuff, but whatever, no, that's not the thing, but it was when, um, uh, War Pigs was covered by Faith No More, I think. Yes, was Could it be, Faith yeah. No More, I think. And and so they played that. And I remember Martin on the floor flopping around like a fish. Like just again, just the personality you're talking about. So yeah. um, anyway, I've got goosebumps. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really do appreciate it.
0: I really do. So yesterday there was this um, event. Um chronic was it was a chronicle the Toronto rock and roll revival of 69 yeah many people call it the forgotten festival yeah um i don't know if, if i was intimately aware that this had happened uh but it was very interesting to read up on um tell, and, and and apparently it's it's a it was a festival that had long-ranging impact in 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 music
2: yeah this um it was on September 13th, 1969, so 50 years ago. Um, and it was originally billed as an opportunity to see the rock and roll greats of the 1950s. So Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Gene Vincent, Little Richard. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't selling very well because in 69, these people were considered to be old fashioned and passe. So the hippie generation of of 69 was not really all that interested, even though Chuck Berry had performed in Toronto in June of that year and had done quite well. Um, When this didn't sell, they brought in The Doors as a headliner. Still didn't work out. So Monday or Tuesday of the week, the show was on Saturday, the 13th of September, Monday or Tuesday of the week. they only sold 2,000 tickets, and it looked like they were going to lose their shirts. Uh, A couple of Eaton brothers is in the... Department store people had uh, originally funded the whole thing, but they got pulled pulled out. So uh, John Brower, one of the co presenters, co promoters, uh, had some let's call it alternative financing in place. All right, <laughs> but it still wasn't working, and he it looked like he was going to lose a ton of money, and his investors was also going to lose, were also going to lose a lot of money. So um, on Friday, the twelfth of September, uh, the MC for the day, a guy named Kim Fowley, who was a weirdo producer, said, "Look at you know maybe you know look at all the, the lineup here with, with all these these rock and roll greats. These are all John Lennon's heroes. Why don't you call Apple Corps headquarters in London and see if John would come over and MC if he would just you know host the whole thing." So through a series of weird, weird circumstances, uh, John Brower called Apple. He happened to get hold of John Lennon, who was there. This is um, at uh, what time is this? This is 630 on f- 630 Friday morning and 1130 London time. He ends up talking to John. John says, yeah, this sounds like a really good idea. Now, at that point, John had not played a show solo show ever he had never played a show outside the beatles and the last time the beatles had played was at candlestick park in san francisco in 1966. but john hearing that all his heroes were going to be at this festival said yeah okay we'll do it and then he hangs up the phone and he realizes that he doesn't have a band so he calls up eric clapton he calls up a young kid who he'd seen playing in a club named alan white same alan white that would later go on to perform in yes and his German friend, Klaus Moorman, on base, and Yoko. And he so, said, you know, let's, let's go. Let's, let's You know what? We're going to perform. We're going to do this. So the following the next morning, uh, everybody's at the airport except John and Yoko. They're supposed to take a nine o'clock flight to Toronto. This is the day of the show. And they call him and they're still in bed. No, 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 we're not going to go. Send them flowers and say, love, John and Yoko. Well, Eric Clapton, who was already at the at the airport, which livid, he screamed at John, you promised, you promised that you were going to do this. So John is guilted to get out of bed. They rebook the flight for 3.15 that afternoon. They fly over. The four of them are in the very back row of the British Airways 707, uh, rehearsing some songs amidst (laughs) the rest of the passengers and with the roar of the jet engines. Uh, They land in Toronto. They end up at Varsity Stadium. John is absolutely almost paralyzed with stage fright. He's eventually persuaded to go on and it turns out okay. It turns out just fine. So um, he goes back and has a meeting with the rest of the Beatles, a regular band meeting. They were, they had just finished up Abbey Road. They still had a few more things to do with uh, uh, the Let It Be album. And uh, so the show on the 13th of September This band meeting is held one week later on the 20th of September. And uh, John realized that, you know, I don't need the Beatles. The Beatles were on their way to be broken up anyway. And um, John says, "Okay, lads, uh, I want a divorce. I'm out. Let's just finish everything up and then we'll move on. Everybody goes, okay. that's fine. No problem. But we'll keep it quiet until we get all our albums out and finish up all the business that we have outstanding. Uh, so John, at that point, September 30th, 1969, decided that he was out of the Beatles. But in April, um, Paul McCartney bolts first and releases a solo album and announces his departure uh, before John had a chance to. So long story short here is that this last second phone call, and this last second phone um, decision to perform at the Toronto rock and roll revival and this last second victory for John realizing that he didn't need the Beatles the rest of the Beatles uh, contributed you know to the breakup of the band and this is a story that's not really told uh, as as often or as vehemently as it should be
0: usually it's told that Yoko broke up the band (laughs) yeah which is not true yeah
2: not true at all wow she what? takes around for that. Yeah. She wow. does. Uh, wow. I mean she she caused some tension, you know, with, with, with her constant presence, but she wasn't the thing that broke up the Beatles. The Beatles were on their way to breaking up. Yeah.
0: Wow. So this this Alice Cooper drinking is it drinking blood from a child? Okay.
2: That never yeah. happened either. Okay. So what happened was Alice <laughs> Cooper was this this young psychedelic band <laughs> from Detroit. They weren't getting any kind of traction whatsoever. Uh, they were clearing out clubs in 10 minutes because people hated them so much, but they were what we would call a B-level act or maybe the C-level act um, brought in for the rock and roll revival because they needed to fill out time during the day. And uh, so they came uh, to Toronto and, you know, this being the 60s, uh, the guitar player um, was touring with two chickens. There was Larry, there was Pecker. And uh, Larry and Pecker would live in the hotel bathrooms. They had a pretty good life. And Larry and Pecker would sometimes accompany the band on stage. So in this one particular night, uh, Larry uh, was on the amplifier and Alice decided, well, the band was still called Alice Cooper. The singer was Vincent Fernier at that time. He hadn't adopted the name Alice Cooper. Um, And he's... From Detroit. Never been to a farm in his life. That's a bird. It's got feathers. It's got wings. It flies, right? So uh, he grabs Larry off the top of the amp and throws Larry high into the air, expecting Larry to fly away. Well, it's a chicken. So the chicken (laughs) falls into the audience and the audience tears poor Larry apart. Now, at the time, you know, this sort of decadent rock and roll stuff was the thing that, you know, this is what's what your sons and daughters are into. It's, you know, the early versions of the satanic panic. Look what these horrible, horrible hippies are doing. And it very quickly became Alice bit the head off the chicken and drank the chicken's blood, which never happened. And um, the next day, Alice gets a call from... Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa says, did you bite the head off a chicken and drink its blood? And Alice goes, no, of course not. I didn't did, did explain to what happened. And Zappa says, well, don't tell anybody because people love this. This is your thing. So together with that piece of advice and their manager, a guy by the name of Shep Gordon, uh, Alice realized that, oh, maybe our shtick is to become villains, To become shock walkers. Nobody had been Mm -hmm. doing anything like this up until then. So Alice went from being dressed in colorful clothes to being dressed in dark clothes with the black hair and makeup and all the rest of it. And that chicken incident essentially launched the Alice Cooper that became so important, so influential in in the 1970s.
0: Did he ever fess up and deny that this never happened? Or yes, all the time. Oh, oh all the time. Okay. Oh yeah. No, it, it never,
2: ever, ever, ever happened. We have we have a, a film evidence of what happened. Oh wow. Oh yeah. No, he uh, there was a guy in the crowd, a sixteen year old guy named uh, Doug Clement, who had his dad's uh, eight millimeter camera, and he just happened to mm. film when Alice threw the chicken in the air, and you can see what happens, and uh, you can see that the chicken falls into the audience and. Oh, dear.
0: Wow. And anything else happened at this show or as a result of this show?
2: Well, there's another story that goes like this. John Lennon, like I mentioned, had terrible, terrible stage fright. Uh, And he was he was throwing up. He was also probably Jones in a little bit because he didn't have his dealer and he was a little little light on, on, on the heroin. But he was really, really, really scared. And he was afraid of two things. First of all, he was afraid of falling flat on his face in front of his heroes, and secondly, he was afraid of falling flat on his face in front of all these people because he was a Beatle, he was John Lennon. So, uh, Kim Fowley, the MC, decided for some reason that uh, he, he he made the a request of the crowd. He says, "Listen, we want to make this." a wonderful, peaceful welcome for John. So back then, everybody smoked. And he said, take your lighters out and put your lighters in the air like this is a, you know, like we we light up the stadium with candles. So the lights were out. Everybody put their lighters in the air. And it was an absolutely astounding view. These little flames, you know, 20, 22,000 people uh, holding up lighters. And uh, it was enough to bring John out, and that's how they started their set. Huh. This also is the um, start, we think, of the tradition of holding up lighters or down cell phones at concerts. It started in Toronto on September 13th,
1: 1969. Wow! Wow! That's I had like as you're telling the story, I'm going, okay, so I see where you're going. With this. That's that's that's. Uh... That's that's fascinating. In fact, it actually sort of is a question I'd love to ask you in terms of, you know, we've, we've gone to the, the cell phones and holding that up for the light now. Um, I'd love to, because I've had conversations with um, Chuck D from, from the salads and I'm Mother Earth and, and a bunch of other buds, uh, Mike Turner from Our Lady Peace and that about this. I'd love to get your view on the thoughts of cell phones and in at concerts and people capturing it and taking photos versus being in the moment, because there's such polarizing views on that. I right. Guess. So there's there's two ways of looking at it. First
2: of all, um, you know, people want to have their communication devices with them wherever they go. The problem is that people, for some reason, believe that they need to capture and document everything on their phones uh, for for just in case and And i I mean, i I can't believe that a lot of these people go back and watch these videos, you know on a small screen with bad sound, but they do it anyway because I don't know if it's peer pressure, it's a meme i'm I'm not entirely sure I'm not entirely sure hmm. uh then we have people like Jack White who uh have mm-hmm. this bag it's called a yonder bag, and you walk into the show, you uh, are given this bag which locks your phone inside. So you can't touch it until you unlock it on your way out. And this forces people to pay attention to what's going on with the show. And uh, I, I, I kind of like that, too, because for the first bit, it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to occupy, occupy myself with if I don't have my phone? But as soon as the music starts, you go, oh, OK, well, I'll, I'll watch the show. Gee, what a novel idea <laughs> and uh you, you find yourself sliding into the moment and, and enjoying the rock and roll show and enjoying the music and enjoying the people around you mm-hmm. and uh I went to see Jack White this past summer, and um I tell you i i kind of I, I liked it i i I liked the fact that there weren't all these knobs who were holding up their phones expecting to i don't know what they were expecting to it, it was just nice to see everybody doing what we
1: used to do back in the old days before you were allowed to bring a phone into a show just enjoy and sit back and yeah. listen to music but by the way i have to how was the big sugar i was not at that show but how was the big sugar cover i hear it went off smashingly at the toronto show it,
2: it was a it was an astounding show it went yeah. extraordinarily well it's yeah. jack white jack yeah. he's got a crack band and uh you know he took a few liberties with um some melodies, so, uh, okay. A couple of lines had to go by before you realized what song he was singing, but you know, mm-hmm. it was it was
1: good. Excellent,
0: excellent. Yeah, to watch him play, I saw him a, a few years ago at Budweiser. Uh, it's like you're, you're just watching a master. A master. Yeah, you class. really are. Yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. It, it is it is really really interesting. I, I wanted to not go back to this rev- to this uh, rock and roll revival, but. This whole idea of, you know, big festivals, you know, there still are some around the world. But, you know, in in, in the Toronto area, you know, for many years you could go to, um, you know, The Edge used to put on shows up in Barrie. I remember, you know, Virgin Fest at the islands used to happen quite often. Right. Um, We don't see too many. Maybe I'm wrong, but...
2: Maybe you're all No. Um, there's, there's, there, there are some reasons for that. First of all, they have been extru- they're have extraordinarily expensive to put on.
0: Uh,
2: second, uh, they uh, the people that are involved in these things want to be paid in American dollars. Hmm. There's a problem. Uh, third, it's very hard to do the rooting to get enough big acts across the border or into one place during the height of the festival music season and or the music festival season and with so many festivals happening across the U S and so many festivals happening across England and so many festivals happening across Europe, it is extraordinarily difficult to book enough big acts, uh, during the eight weeks that we really have of summer in Canada, (laughs) because it's, it's, the logistics are tough. Believe me, I mean, I, I was involved in booking Edgefest for a number of years. You have no idea uh, how frustrating it was. It, it's it, as hard as we tried and as much as we wished. The logistics of the um, of the touring uh, business just made it impossible.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Um- because of timing, we we have to sort of get your thoughts on Win Butler and Arcade Fire. And I know you've written a piece mm. um, on your on your site and I, and I believe on Global as well. Yeah. Um, and Greg and I were talking about this um, prior to to recording. You know, every every time we record this podcast, I throw on a music shirt. And as I was going through my shirts. You know, there was a an Arcade Fire "Everything Now" T-shirt, and I go, "Oh boy!" And I'm like, "I don't. Do I wear that shirt? Is it okay to wear that shirt? Is it okay to to listen to the music?" Like, and, and Greg always says, "You know, we always have this conversation. Can you remove the person from the art?" That is
2: something that we've been talking about for quite some time. Forever. The first time it really showed up was with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Which is what And like there, there was this big, big debate, you know, does Michael Jackson get canceled or do we separate the art from the artist? Mm-hmm. And ultimately this becomes a personal decision. If you can do that, well, go ahead. Uh, if you can't, well, then you've got to make uh, a moral decision about whether to consume this music to um, patronize this artist going forward. But there's a, a bigger issue here in that, um, Rockstar behavior, the way it has been for 70 years, is no longer accepted. And uh, people are rightly speaking out against bad behavior. However, bad behavior is not necessarily criminal behavior.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
2: And if bad behavior is called out, there are repercussions without due process. So you don't have an opportunity to face your accusers. You don't have an opportunity to tell your side of the story. You don't have an opportunity to defend yourself in any way because the Twitter mob has has come for you. Mm-hmm. That's one side. The other side is, well, you know, women have been terribly abused and mistreated for, for forever. And it's about time that this be these kinds of behaviors stop. But uh, okay, yes, agree. However, a stolen kiss—I can't see it being equated with violent rape. Hmm. It's two different things. I mean, there are degrees. There are there there are uh, shades of gray involved, and because there are all these shades of gray. And because you really, you know, can't equate, at least from a criminal point of view, equate a stolen kiss with a with a violent rape, or an unwanted hug with a violent rape, or um, you know, a touch on the leg with a violent rape. Again, I'm not defending those those behaviors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're they're two different things. And um, what should what's the appropriate punishment? Hmm especially since we're not talking about anything with perhaps there's no witnesses, perhaps there's no witnesses, there's no physical evidence. Uh, There's no one that has come forward to, you know, make a, a, um, a statement. There are no police reports. There's no police investigations. So at the way it is right now, we have, a situation where the twitter mob is, de- is 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 destroying lives destroying people as Harvey Weinstein was destroyed and he deserved to be destroyed the man was a pig a predator a sexual deviant an ogre but should somebody who and I, I'm, I'm not speaking specifically of Wynne Butler here. I'm speaking about somebody who may be called out for the, for bad behavior. Harvey Weinstein engaged in criminal
1: behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, some of this other stuff, you know, it's at best ambiguous. The problem is that the Me Too, uh, the Me Too movement has everybody believing that all women should be believed all survivors should be believed i get that got that i think that's a bit too intense i would i would rather it be listen to women listen to what they have to say listen to what they say what happened and then we can start digging in for the truth Again, we're not speaking about the Wynn Butler thing here. We're speaking about anybody who might be accused by someone online of bad behavior, not criminal behavior, but bad behavior.
1: Hmm. Uh,
2: Hmm. And it, it gets really, really, really murky. It becomes trial by social media. Now, there are some cases where these sorts of things turn out to be true. You know, uh, sure. Jacob Paulbergard mm-hmm. from from Hedley, for example. Yeah. Uh, that's how this started. It escalated and uh, he was charged. And there you go. OK, fine. But then there were other people. And I won't mention any names because I'll get people upset who have been anonymously accused of things online and have had their careers completely ruined without being able to. Put up any kind of defense, hmm. but they're the the extreme. The extreme people say, "Hey, gotta believe the woman, so she must be right." Hmm. Um, and you know what? She may have been right, but we don't know because nothing. There again, no evidence, no police report, no no video, no you know, none of those things. Uh, so it becomes a he said she said situation, and. the Societal pressure is to side with the woman all the time. And I understand why. And I, and I, you know, in, in many, 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 many cases, that's the right side.
1: But then there are situations where you're kind of left wondering what really happened. Hmm. Yeah. And 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 you're right. You're right. And again, <laughs> Kareem and I have argued about this, not argued, but had a discussion about this many times. Like Twitter has become this cesspool. It's become a a well that's what I call it. He he thinks it's great, but you know I
2: know well, uh, the, the, the mob can come after you. It really, yeah. really can. And uh it's it, when it does, uh it's 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 ugly. Yeah. So let's just one last thing I want to say. What yeah. is with the Wynn Butler thing? Mm-hmm. You know, he says that he was these these relationships were consensual. He understands now that he hurt people. He's apologized multiple times. He's come clean uh, about you know what he says he did and what he says he thought. So here's my question. Again, we're not dealing with criminal behavior in the sense that nobody's been charged with anything, right? What's the appropriate sentence? What's the appropriate punishment? Hmm. Total cancellation like Harvey, like Harvey Weinstein or something else it's so complicated it is so emotionally fraught and it is something that we are not going to be able to solve here yeah fair enough they,
0: they continue to tour and and you know by all accounts people are going people are enjoying themselves obviously you know there there are those who have you know refused to attend and you know are looking to get refunds and so on but yeah it'll be interesting to see you know over the next year or so what happens
2: yeah uh you know will this blow over will uh and it's really tough with with uh um arcade fire because they've been such a a band of the people right
0: yeah yeah and
2: they you know with their yeah. philanthropic efforts and and all kinds of other things um so you know how much how much damage has this caused how much um and and how much rehabilitation is going to be required? Will it be possible to to fix it? I, I, I don't know. We will see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about mobs, I don't know if this is a good segue or not. There's <laughs> there's the mob that hates Nickelback. Yes. And when when I first heard of this, I was like, "What?" I mean, they've got some really catchy rock songs. I don't I don't particularly mind them. I think they're really good. And they sell millions of albums. They sell out everywhere, everywhere they go. Um, and so I thought, I, you know, you had written about a. I guess they've got a new release that came out that you thought was really good. And then I went down a YouTube rabbit hole of uh, trying to find <laughs> out, you know, where where this all started. Um, why? Why are they the most disliked? Guilty pleasure. Sorry, oh, we, don't, we don't know.
2: We we don't know. There's a, a Nickelback documentary uh, coming out next year, and I'm actually in the documentary okay. defending Nickelback uh, saying that you know what, this is this. It doesn't make any sense because they are a successful mainstream rock band with that have sold 50 million records. They have fans all the way around the world, but some some critics. Uh, or some people in the cheap seats took some shots, those shots stuck and now they've become a punchline and I, it's, it, it, it they're, they're not worthy of it. They, they really, it, it's, it's unfair. Mm-hmm. And, um, I can appreciate Nickelback for back to what they are a good, solid, good time, arena rock band who know how to write some really catchy songs. Yeah. Um, I won't make fun of them. I, I think I think the best way to go through everything is to go through life is respect all music, listen to what you want. Yeah. But the, the idea of taking pot shots, yeah. you know, I, I listen, I was guilty. Oh man, I was such a music snob, and, and I would I would have no trouble telling you that your musical taste sucked and your band sucked and all that. And then I, I after a while, I got a little bit more uh, mature, maybe, and decided that no, that's that's not the way to do it. Everybody, everybody's artist is somebody's favorite. Yeah. So who am I to tell them what's good and what's not? And uh, again, you know, listen to what you want and leave everybody else to it.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Totally agree. Um. I, I'm recognizing we are at uh, 40 minutes past. I'm not sure how much more time, Alan, we could have of yours. <laughs> but uh, I, I we will continue to go until you give us a signal. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Okay, awesome. Um, you know, as you were talking, this sort of, you know, pop, popped into my head. Um, you know, I was downtown this weekend. TIFF is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, is, uh, along with thousands of other teens, screamed. When uh, Harry Styles came Bowie. out and waved. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally digging his music. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Harry's music. Um, a lot of people, have, you know, are using, you know, David Bowie to sort of um, help define who Harry Styles is. What, do, what are your thoughts on, on Harry?
2: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. The, I, I see the, the Bowie comparison. Um although he's got a long way to go. Yes. <laughs> David Bowie. But um I understand that, that music, you know, popular music is of the moment. And there are many Harry Style fans who have no idea of anything that came before. Yeah. So it is all new to them and this is all really exciting remember that youth is always the driver of popular culture especially music and um, it's just a matter of, of taste i suppose or or it's a matter of what you know if, if if harry styles is brand new to you and what he's doing has never been seen before as far as you're concerned well then fine um, and remember too that he has a tremendous PR team behind him, mm-hmm. and uh, they are going to do everything they possibly can to blow him up because there's a lot of money to
1: be made. Yeah, but this, but this, this album is like, and again, I, I, I can't believe the amount of times I'm listening to Harry Styles over the last few months. This album is a, an amazing pop album. Like it is catchy. It's the hooks. It's and it's crossing over. As well, it seems to be like I mean the fact that indie and and, and even the Edge are, or CFNY are playing it like it's yeah. I mean, that it's doing for that. Sorry. Yeah, when it comes
2: to something like this, you know, there, there's also one of, of of image of the artist. Does mm-hmm. that uh, does the artist's image jibe line up with the image of the radio station or the other artists that are being played on the radio station? And, you know, there was discussion about, you know, playing Harry Styles, but it's, you know, it didn't work. It, you know, you, you, it just didn't feel right for him to be And That was from a, from a dispassionate point of view. It just didn't feel right to have him on the same station as Pearl Jam.
0: Fair mm. enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I don't know how to ask this question other than just to blurt it out and ask it. Um When, when, when does radio play its final song? Like when is it finally going to die or or is it not? not.
2: It's not. It won't. And I'll tell you why Uh, is because radio continues to be very popular, very powerful, very profitable. The issue is is that uh, it has much more competition than it's ever had before. But at the same time, it, the radio industry is very, very, very good at creating audio entertainment. Which is maybe what maybe radio needs to be redefined. It's not AM or FM, it is uh audio entertainment. Okay. So what, what the current radio industry has to do is evolve to the to um um has to evolve to meet the needs of the digital generation. And there are many things that are happening right now where we're trying to figure that out. The problem is that because radio continues to work well in its current form, which is the form that it's been around in for a hundred years, uh, we got to be very careful about the changes we make. It's, and I've used this analogy a thousand times, it's like changing the wings on an airplane that's flying at 38,000 feet. You have to do it, but you got to do it carefully. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know, see so nothing crashes. Yeah. And the the one of the things that, that we're watching very closely is... march of technology. So, all right, radio has been broadcast through AM and FM for for decades. Who's to say that radio will be broadcast through another distribution system Mm -hmm. like 5G or 6G? And if that's the case, well, then maybe it becomes more interactive, more two-way, more on demand. Okay. How? Well, you're going to need Uh, a new interface between you and the radio station. Like right now you turn on the radio and you either accept what comes out of the speakers or you don't. There's no way for you to, to, to make any sort of, it's not customizable by the end user. Uh, With new technology, maybe it will be, but it'll be a far cry from, you know, turning on the radio and just letting the music uh, wash over you without any
1: sort of input from you that's uh it's well said and, and i mean i'm I'm a big proponent of terrestrial radio i you know I've, I've argued with numerous people over the years i you know i wouldn't i remember my wife was taking me out to ajr and and if i didn't listen to the radio i wouldn't have realized that uh um rob DeLong, rob DeLong, rob DeLong? tom DeLong, rob long not not the blink One Eighty Two. anyway that he was opening up so i was able to get to the show in time to see him and i was so excited about that which was awesome um so flipping it from from the technology side, going back to old school, one of the segments that we have uh, that we often ask our guests about is lost venues, and it's about you know venues that don't necessarily exist today, but their importance to our to yourself. And so, what I'd love to ask you is, do you have a, a lost venue that you'd love to share with us?
0: Oh, there's there's
1: a lot of lost <laughs> venues.
2: In, in, in Toronto, um, you know, I think about the warehouse. I think about RPM. I think about um, factory. That was more of a dance club. The Big Bop. That was another one. Uh, and there are all these small ones that that disappeared before I had a chance to get to them, like uh, Larry's Hideaway and the Edge, and, and, and so on. So yeah, it's it's um, the, the the nightclub business is one that goes in cycles in many cases you can't predict the cycles nor can you you know uh, fix them i mean at one point you know the radio station was doing four live to airs a week because people were going out and dancing to alternative music and then they stopped and i don't know why they just stopped they stopped going to the clubs one of the things that is um A theory, and we can discuss this as much as you like. The theory is that social media and dating apps like Tinder did a lot to Mm -hmm. kill the dating business because you never had the club business because you didn't have to go to a Mm -hmm. club anymore. You didn't have to stand in line in the cold. You didn't have to deal with a you know a a stupid bouncer. You didn't have to deal with with uh, expensive drinks. You could do everything from home. And uh, save all the hassle with the parking and everything else. Um, again, smartphones have made us, you know, much much more um, insular, mm-hmm. uh, and and we're, we're maybe not interested in going, or the current generation is, is not interested in going out into crowds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read something the the other day that. Uh, You know, a guy asked a bunch of of young people, uh, have you ever sat and listened to music with friends? And they go, yeah, 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 well, we go to a show. Uh, Have you sat and listened to music with friends just hanging around a house? And nobody put up their hands. So the consumption of music has become, unless it's live, the consumption of music has become a very individual thing. And uh, that, I think, has contributed to the uh, the death of the alt rock dance club i mean there are still dance clubs you know the you know hip-hop and, and pop and, and edm and all that sort of stuff that sort of stuff that the, the live for for many of these things the 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 communal aspect of dancing together with strangers is an important part of the culture mm-hmm. uh it wasn't as important to the culture of alt rock
0: Interesting. Uh, mm. I think this will be our, our last question, Alan, um, recognizing the time and thank you again for, for being yes. our guest today. Really appreciate it. Um, how did you get started in all of this? In, like, in what? Was, in what specifically? In, in, in music, in the history of music, in. Um, oh in, in God, being this his, is a very, okay.
2: Here's a, <laughs> it's a long, okay, I'll try and, it's a very long answer. But I'll try and make it short.
0: You I can keep
2: it wrong if you like, but go ahead. I, I, I got into radio because my grandmother gave me a transistor radio for my sixth birthday. And I became entranced with this thing. Then a few years later, my uncle, who was working for the Manitoba telephone system, had a side hustle servicing jukeboxes. And one Saturday, we went over to his house. He had just done his route. And he had a whole bunch of records that he had taken out of the jukeboxes. They were old and worn. So he was going to throw them out unless I wanted. them. I thought, okay, I'll take them. And growing up in a small prairie town, when you're good in school and bad at hockey, you're not the most popular, coolest kid. <laughs> so I discovered that maybe by being the music nerd, I could keep myself from getting beaten up quite as often. And that's what I ended up doing. It turned out that... You know, music is one of those things that you use to project your identity to the rest of the world so they know who you are. Yeah. And I learned that really, really early. And I just kind of kept with it. I had also decided that I wanted to get into radio, but I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I didn't want to be a, you know, longhaired dope-smoking DJ. I thought that was beneath me. <laughs> um so I went through university and I ended up as a, a job in, in, in Kenora, Ontario, and I was offered the opportunity to be a newsroom and I jumped at it and I hated it. it 23 days. I absolutely hated it. Fortunately I was rescued by another job offer at a radio station called KX 96 in Brandon, Manitoba, a station that was far, far cooler the city of 35,000 people had a right to have. And I was back to being on FM. I was back to um, playing records and talking about them. And through, I did, I worked there for a while. And I moved to Winnipeg for a while. And I ended up in Toronto. And the the, the music nerd thing really took off in 1992, late 92, when we had new management at the radio station. And uh, they decided that instead of flipping the station to country, we were going to stick with the alternative format, except that we're going to do it right. We're not going to be, holy, you know, this holier than thou, cooler than thou. Uh, we would need a radio program that would put all this music into context. So they looked around and they found exactly one person on staff with a history degree, which was me. And they said, you're going to do it. And the show is going to be called the ongoing history of new music. Wow. And I said, no, I, I, I don't want to do it. Uh, and that's a stupid thing for a radio show. And they said, okay, that's fine. Here's your package. Best of luck in your future endeavors. What? Oh, okay. If you put it that way. <laughs> uh, so I accepted the assignment, and it is, uh, Let's just say it was really, 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 really hard at the beginning because this is pre-internet. This was still quite early in alternative music history. There were no books. Um, All I had was press releases and some newspaper clippings and whatever else I could cobble together. And uh, I started from there. But I had decided that I had just gotten married. I just built a house. Uh, I had to do, I didn't have a lot of portable skills, so I had to make lemonade out of these lemons. And that's, that's, I guess what I've done because had it not been for this opportunity that was presented, <laughs> uh, we wouldn't be talking right now. We, we honestly, honestly wouldn't. Um, and I got lucky in terms of timing. I got lucky in terms of demographics. I got lucky in terms of, uh, musical cycles, I got lucky in terms of technology. I got lucky in terms of the radio industry, um, and I could have never, ever, ever in a billion years predicted that I'd be doing this this many, these many years later.
1: Well, Alan, I have I have to say So I have I have four twenty somethings. We're Brady Bunch two and two, and. Um, I just want to say on behalf of them, my wife, Kelly and myself, who we actually do when we get together, we do sit down and put on music and like everybody shares what they're listening to. And we actually we, we love to do that as a family. We go to a lot of live shows together. And and we, we we download when we're driving to Killington, we download episodes of the ongoing history and we'll all listen to them together for hours. So I just want to say on the like got goosebumps again on behalf of my family, thank you for for doing what you were as your opportunity to do. <laughs> as as our, our family loves it. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you. And it's interesting that the people that put me through that hell back in nineteen ninety two and early nineteen ninety-three, they're either out of the business or dead so <laughs> wow.
0: I win. you there win you there you go Alan Cross has been our guest thank you so much yes, thank you his website journalofmusicalthings.com and his uh, podcast uh, his show his, uh, his project that he's still working on the ongoing history of new music uh, you can find that uh, uh, on the radio and you can also find it uh, in your favorite uh, podcast player thank you so much Alan for this we really appreciate thank it thank you
2: You're very welcome thanks for the interest
0: take care
2: see ya